We are excited about having our first Crazy and the King show sponsor. That is in reference to Gusto. Who are they? Well, Gusto is an easy online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses. In other words, a people platform. One place to pay and take care of your hardworking team. Here's the offer. Get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you need to do is visit gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. That's abbreviated for Crazy and the King. One more time. Go to gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. So I got to tell you, uh, I got some goldfish to my right. I got got Twizzlers top left. Uh, Microphone that I promise I'm not going to put my hand on. Like, I'm hoping that we have like zero static. Uh, My eldest king created a playlist for me, Julie. So so when we go out practice driving, uh, he's got a special playlist for me. It only has like one or two hippity hop. Uh, you, you you know, he'll try to put like Jean A in and a little uh, soul to soul, and of course, you know, <laughs> I love Raheem Devon, but but then he'll throw in like one or two songs from the baby or somebody that's like, I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, but but so I say all of that to say, I'm good, I feel incredible. Um, if I had a hundred meetings this week. I still feel incredible because last week I felt like I had 500 of them. So I'm like really in a good place. Good. Uh, And in my experience, we should probably just put on like meditative music when you're teaching your children to drive because holy shit, right? I mean- So you had that responsibility? You were the one taking them out? Um, So we split and they went to driver's ed, thank God, but I I was a terrible teacher. I'm not going to lie. Eventually, I just told Chad he had to do it and I just could not deal with them. Um, And they're all much better drivers because I was not the one to really teach them. So what was the problem? I mean, were your nerves bad? Like, did you make them hit the the brake like 400 feet from the yellow stops? I mean, what what was going on? Um, I, I think I was just overly bitchy at them about it. It's just, you know, there was no right. And because I am a worrier, everything was wrong. And that's not conducive to learning. I was just making them more anxious. And uh, they all got substantially better when I stepped away and came back and said, okay, now you have your license. Now we'll continue to drive together. I think I'm pretty good now, but I I was pretty much a monster at the beginning. I won't lie. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you, you know, for me, what, what I keep telling my king, I say, listen, you just have to you have to be in a position where you can make a decision. Driving is all about decisions, split second decisions, constant decisions. You got to decide whether or not you're using, you know, the rearview mirror, your side mirrors. You got to decide how often you're going to look over your left or your right shoulder. You do have to determine 
is my speed enough? You know, am I going to make that particular light that turn? Can, can I get over fast enough? It's it's all about decisions, and and I think it's a great uh, it's a great metaphor for or or shall I say connector a bridge to to where we are right now. He's doing an incredible job, by the way. I, I just want you to know, like I I'm not nervous um, uh, while I'm in the vehicle with him. I, I think that he is doing an incredible job. I will say that we have not gotten on the highway as of yet. Uh, I am waiting probably until mid-August for that. I'm going to need a couple more weeks just to make sure uh, he can handle himself. But but when we talk about speed and we talk about decisions, uh, I want to talk about racial injustice in corporate America's response. Uh, And and I wonder whether or not you are optimistic, as optimistic as I am. So what we've seen over the last several weeks are a number of organizations pledging millions of dollars to racial justice causes. You know, Apple and YouTube both announced their $100 million pledge. I think Netflix was first. Um, you know, the the founder and his wife uh, committed, I think it was $102 million to HBCUs and to banks. But but I'm wondering, are they doing enough? And, and are you optimistic? So, so when you think of all that's been happening, Julie, since May 25th of 2020, how are you feeling around corporate's response to the seat of events? So I'm feeling more optimistic than I usually do. I, and I, I think that's a, a pretty big deal in, in my world. I love and I know how incredibly important moving money into organizations that support equity in racial injustice and and equity that we need. Um, so that's really good, right? $100 million from Apple and YouTube is a huge amount of money. It, it's a good start. Like I always say, though, with disability, I think I don't really believe them until they put their hiring money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. And so ads are great. They're incredibly impactful. They start to change the way that people think um, supporting racial injustice issues and systemic change with dollars is incredibly important. But when we're on the payroll, that's when I really know that things are changing and then we're growing in those organizations. So I still think that we have a long way to go. And I will say, and I'm curious as to what you think about this. I've been, especially I think over the last two weeks, a little more anxious that we might be missing the moment because we've had so much energy on our side and it seems to be leveling down a little bit. And if you're feeling that same way, like we've got to really kick back up into gear and figure out how to do that as a community um, to keep these conversations alive. Yeah, I do believe we are losing a bit of the street scene, a bit of the street fervor. I, I believe that that is waning. And, you know, I hesitate to be critical of that because I'm not a person who wants to get out in the street and march. That That's never been my thing. And so I feel like it's unfair of me to criticize individuals for not marching in their streets, uh, you know, protesting outside of of um, any type of building. So so in that regard, I do feel like 
the fever pitch is changing. The tone, the tenor is changing. And, and so what I do, I, I also feel like in, in, in lieu of that, especially if, if that is the case, that we continue to use our social media, that we continue to bombard uh, the people that work inside of publishing houses, that we are reaching out to reporters and letting them know, while you may not see me on said corner, uh, this is something that I drafted and sent to, um, you know, 450 people. I was on a call earlier this week uh, with a, I don't want to say a client, but with a connection. I was on a call with a connection and they were, they raised uh, awareness for me. I had not had a chance to research them. And before this call, I had never heard of them. But uh, it, it seems like an organization titled Hold the Press and another one titled 600 and Rising. And apparently these two entities, I think it's two entities, Julie, I think they are they are sending out almost like demands to advertising firms and agencies, like basically do something. Here's what we want to see. We want to see X. We want to see Y. And we want to see Z. Uh, and so, again, I can't comment because I hadn't had a chance to go out and research what it is that they are doing and or saying. But I agree with you. I do believe that it's 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 waning a little bit and we have to do what we can to use our mediums, our platforms, our reach. We got to do what we can to make sure we keep some degree of pressure on the powers that be, the people that need to be listening uh, and just folks in general. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And I think for, for white people, we are also, you know, we are struggling with that too. Um, especially as we get to all of the other chaos and pandemonium that's just going on in life right now with the fall and, and potentially returning to school and doing all of those things. I think that we've got to find a way to continue to engage. And and I think donations is something that I guess at least makes me feel like when I can't get out in March, which I do absolutely love, love, love to do, um, at least that I'm doing something and I try to use social media, but I'm definitely looking for other ideas. You know, maybe our listeners have some about how we can continue to, to help press when we're what now four months out, um, three and a half months out from the the George Floyd murder, and, and we don't want to lose all of the power that that's been gathered by the community right now. Yeah, just about two two months and a week or so out. It happened uh, right around May twenty fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you're right, two and a yeah, half so months. Yeah, yep. we're just a little over two months out. Um, so, so Darren Walker was actually talking to, uh, and Darren Walker is the president of the Ford Foundation. They have a pretty big endowment. Uh, and basically he said, flat out, corporate America has failed black America. And, and I know people will take issue with that because, again, there are a number of people that feel like corporate America's CEOs should only look at balance sheets. They should only be uh, concerned with the bottom line, how, how. How do we move our organization in the marketplace? There are a number of people that do not subscribe. And you know what, Julie? I'd be willing to guess. I'd be willing to guess that some of them are well-meaning individuals. Like, like they have that position that corporate America should focus on business and that they're not against 
Black Lives Mattering. Uh, I guess the question becomes, I, I wonder if there was a way to find a percentage of them, you know, if in fact those folks that lean on that side stay corporate and, and don't care about Black America. And you absolutely raise a good point. We have a number of issues that are important. You know, going back to school is an issue. Look at the the images. You saw the school down in Georgia. You saw them kids in that oh, hallway. Yeah. Oh, it's Jesus, crazy. Yes. Uh, I mean, and, and, and I'm just asking myself, you know, how many more examples do we need? So so we do have a number of issues. I, I, I agree with Darren Walker. I also agree that that I don't want to see only philanthropy. I want mm-hmm. to see it in the way that organizations conduct their business. I, I do want to see that participation with uh, underserved communities, with black communities, with uh, audiences from um, the LGBTQ or same gender loving. I just learned that phrase this week. Um, I want to see them do it through the normal scope of business. That's my desire. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I, I just last thing on this, because it, it just always drives me crazy, is I, I do absolutely agree that corporate America has failed Black America, and it's really easy for companies like Apple and YouTube and, and the big dogs, especially in Silicon Valley, to make big pledges to um, nonprofits. And as a person who works for a nonprofit, we appreciate you. But if we were lifting people out of poverty, if we were lifting people into the middle class and the companies were paying the taxes that they need to, these pledges would be less needed. So the most important thing that corporate America can do, in my opinion, is to bring up the black middle class, to bring up people out of poverty so there is less need for equity, right? Because equity is going to come much faster if we're all working. Uh, Yeah, well, we would hope. We would absolutely. We would it's absolutely. A step in the hope. right direction. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We would, we would, we would absolutely hope that equity would come a lot faster if we were all working. Um, so I agree with you a thousand percent. Speaking of working, uh, Red Thread Research, uh, Stacia Gar and her team over there, they actually put together something from a, a month or so ago. I missed it, but it hit my radar this week, and I thought that I would share it. They did some research on women performance management, and COVID-19. And right now, if you you go to their site, redthreadresearch.com, you can actually sign up. Membership is free. You can sign up and you can read the full report. But they actually looked at uh, women in the workplace, performance management, and there were some some glaring stats that they put out on an infographic. It's been a while since I've looked at an infographic, but nonetheless, they put one out and and two of them that jumped out for me. Number one, 63% of men versus 48% of women feel their company is doing all they can to improve gender diversity. So yet again, the power structure, patriarchy, everything's okay. We don't see anything wrong with this ship. You know, meanwhile, you got a hole in the bottom. Um, you yeah. you you have every stat in the book that says that women are. Well, I mean, just look, this is August equal pay month for black women. Like mm-hmm. how, how long do we have to continue? How often do we have to keep 
reminding, uh, in this instance, men that everything is not equal. And, and yet 63% feel like the organization is doing all that they can, all that they can to improve gender diversity. The other one that jumped out, 49% of managers do not know what they can do to improve gender diversity. So, and let's let's take one step back. Yeah. Because the the 63% of men like let's be honest that doesn't the only way that that surprises me is that it's not higher. Mm. But 49% of women feel their company is doing everything they can to improve gender diversity. 49% see, of women? See, I was actually hoping that you keyed in on that because that's something I remember like the first time I was speaking down in um Oh man, what's that event that Aaron Daniels does? Uh, he did an event, nonetheless. I can't remember the title. I'm sorry, Aaron. I apologize, brother, because I know you're gonna hear this. But you know, I was in the room, and it made it made people mad and uncomfortable. But we talked about compensation, and I always ask women, you know, because it's a room of women in there. Now, how many of you are sliding offer letters across the table to candidates, and you know that? They're not making the money that their male counterparts are making. So I'm so glad you keyed in on that 48%. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think women are not great at supporting other women, period. And we need to be more thoughtful about especially the intersectionality of gender in our workplaces and while maybe we're bringing up white women and we're doing better, although we still have a ways to go, I don't see how any woman can reasonably state that a company is doing everything they can if black women, women of color, disabled women are not making as much as they are. Because we know that while a white woman makes or 80 cents on the dollar, to, a, to her male counterpart, uh, black women, disabled women, and Hispanic women make on average 37% or 37 cents less than that white woman. And so I don't know who they're asking in this, in this thing, but my guess is it may be skewed fairly dramatically to Caucasian people, yeah. Caucasian women. And, um, and, and yeah, we need to do better. I mean, that, that's, that's on us. If, if we really think they're doing everything that they can, when we don't have tra- pay transparency, we don't have pay equity, we have our intersectional sisters who are making dramatically less than we are and get getting promoted at dramatically lower rates than we are. Um, what, oh, and today here's my favorite one. And then I'll wrap up my rant. Um, today, Clorox announced that their new CEO um, is a woman. And that brings up the number of Fortune 500 companies led by women to 38. Okay. And not one of those 38. Not one. Not one. Nope. Not one is black or brown. Nope. Not one. On top of the fact that we make up 50% of the the freaking workforce, 55% actually of the workforce, and we're just still sitting around happy with table scraps. So kudos, Clorox. We appreciate the move. Absolutely. I'm rooting for, uh, you know, the new leader. I didn't know that. So thanks for sharing that, uh, you know, news drop on me. I appreciate it. 
but we certainly got a lot of work to do um, and, and can do a whole lot better. And so that means for all of you, whether you are the 63% men or the 48% women, I, I need you to really check what doing all they can do looks like, because I don't think that they're doing all that they can do. Hey, so listen, we're going to put the, the PDF link up. Uh, yeah, that just, it, it baffles me, if you will. Uh, but we're going to put the link up and and we're going to go from there. So uh, heading into the fall, women in the workforce, what a great transition. Talk about that. Yeah. So I, I know all of us that our parents have on our brain, sending our kids back to school, kind of getting back into the fall routine. You and I and, and Chad are incredibly blessed because at least as long as, as we've all known each other, we've been working from home. Yep. And that creates a dramatically different place as parents than when I had to go into the office all of the time, right? Um, when I was a, a single parent, I used all of my vacation days, all of my sick days, how to take days unpaid to take care of sick kids, to take care of kids on breaks, to do those kind of things. And now we're getting to a place this fall where women are going to be dramatically impacted by the lack of childcare options in the workplace. And if I even kind of take a step back from that, Right. We know that going into the pandemic, the impact on women has been much higher than it has been on men. And so what what does that mean exactly? Right. Um, Women are 180 percent more likely to be affected by COVID-19 in their employment. Which, of course, you know, makes sense for them because they are maternal. They are the one who tends to allocate, you know, the time to to get children to uh, to school or to child care or, or they're the one that primarily is going to call in sick if the child is sick, can't make it to school. And so, yes, it does have. Hold an on, impact. hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on. Yeah. Is that because we're maternal or we've been told by society our entire lives that if we don't sacrifice our whole being to raise these little people that we're bad women i mean i i think that instinctively i know that i am very maternal but i was also trained to be very maternal by very maternal women and to not expect as much as in the men from the men in my life um to to you know raise and take care of babies and do those kind of things. Um, and, and so I still think that is very societal. I do not think that it's just maternal. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That's a, you raise an interesting point. And I think it actually, I think it has everything to do with both. I just don't know if one is even more than the other. And, and I suspect that it is, um, you know, and it, 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 again, it's a bit of a challenge for me because I've always worked from home through all of my children's matriculation. So, so I've never, I've never not been able to be there for them when they were sick. I've never not Mm -hmm. taken them to, I've always taken my children to school, daycare, elementary, middle, 
They've never been on a bus. So I guess that's a it's a it's a fair question. And I think in many ways, society probably has, you know, applied pressure and been critical and and perceptive of women who are not at home uh, and in the kitchen, if you will. Yeah. I mean, you know, you are certainly the exception to the rule. I I mean, almost before the the COVID hit, almost every time you and I chatted via text or on the phone, you were doing something with the Kings, right? You're taking them to get their hair done. You're taking them to interview for a job. You're like doing whatever it is that they need to do. And I hope they understand how blessed they are to have dad that available and, and, and engaged because that's not that's not the everyday role uh, of a man. I think in in most of at least middle America, right? Women are still picking up more of the household and childcare duties, even during COVID, when both partners are working from home or both parents are working from home. Women are still doing thirty percent more of the childcare, even though everyone is still in the house, mm-hmm. and. So, you know, what we're seeing then, uh, women or mothers aside, um, because I think that's a really important conversation, is that in the first wave uh, of jobs eliminated due to the pandemics, you remember we got that big number where we dropped like 21 million jobs or something like that in in the first like week or two of the shutdown. Yep. Um, 60% of those jobs were held by women. 60%. Yeah. And single moms have been hit very hard, um, losing jobs at a, a far higher rate than children with families, nuclear families. I don't even like the way that they word that there. Um, and, and we still have probably a lot of shedding, to be frank, um, in the economy for those jobs because – of the sectors that that women work in, which are accommodations, food services, healthcare, um, like social assistance, like kind of social work, um, nonprofit field, um, and women of color also have a disproportionate share of workers in those industries. And so, what we're seeing is top down, right? Women are losing jobs. Women are picking up more work. We actually have the lowest female labor participation rate since 1989. Mm. 1989. This is the first time that the female labor participation rate has dropped below 55%. And that was in April. Think about how many job losses we've added since then. So, you know, I I think about, I think about, you know, as you as you talk about and frame it around going back to school, uh, as we think about um, uh, how the weather is about to change in places all across the country, um, how retail has been impacted. Uh, I believe I believe I saw somewhere, Julie, that that a couple of retailers are not going to do like Black Friday like they normally would. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I think so. I think. There, there are. I've, I've actually began to to hear of organizations. I didn't know that this was happening, but I, I've heard of two organizations where they are giving 
or providing their employees with stipends. So in addition to their normal compensation, they are providing them with a bit of support so that they can go out and find childcare, someone to perhaps help them now that they are remote. So, so the organization has a, oh. a tried to, to move them from a, a, a brick and mortar location and set them up with remote capability, but then B, provide them with a bit of a stipend so that they can bring someone in to help take care of their children while they are working. Because as you mentioned at the top of this, this piece, women still, even in, in their working from home and remote, women are still disproportionately impacted because often they're the one who gets off of the computer to take care of the child. They're the one who uh, takes a shorter lunch break or whatever the case may be to tend to the children. And so there, there really needs to be a lot of modification. And I don't know if we necessarily have all of the answers, but, but the answer that we do have is that women are, are in many ways losing some of the ground that they've fought hard to, to secure over the last 10, 20 years. I feel like they are losing some of that ground and, and are being placed in a position where they're going to have to restart the engine of an even more uphill fight over the next 24 to 36 months. Yeah. Um, the newest um, impact on, on women from COVID report out from McKinsey says that if we keep on our current trajectory and do nothing to support women staying in the workforce or quickly re-entering the workforce, it will be by 2030, a $1 trillion hit to global GDP, and there will be 33 million less women working nine years from now. Wow. So th this is a huge, and, and we're not going to, you know, it was understated in, in what you said that we're, we're kind of taking a step back. We're going to give up decades of progress because we we can't get our economy rebooted in the way that we need to. Um, and we also know that automation, future automation jobs are going to more disproportionately impact women um, than men. And so women have a lot coming at them. And from what I can see now, I don't see a lot of, of employers kind of coming out of the gate with here's here's what we can do, here's how we're gonna fix that. I think the the um childcare stipend that you just mentioned is incredible. Like that's a a fantastic option if you can have someone in your house to help out, if you can take the kids someplace safe and and socially distanced for a few hours. But Goldman Sachs really said that we should expect that COVID is going to force parents, which are going to be predominantly women, out of the labor pool because of the lack of adequate childcare and the uncertainties around on-site school and how to adequately engage students who are um, either online or on-site. So what do we do? I mean, I, you know, as I sit here and listen to you, uh, run through some of the data points uh, and facts, realities are around this story. You know, I'm 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 challenging myself to say, well, what do we do? And 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 I may not be well. Let me just say, not may not. I'm not an economist. 
I'm not an academician. Um, <laughs> did I say that right? Acad- acad- academician, academician, whatever. I'm not I, that I guy. Know. I'm not an. I don't ed- even know what that word means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not that person. So, so I'm asking myself, you know, like, what can we as, what can leaders, executives do to, to reshape what work looks like? Why, why is it that work has to be uh, eight hours per day? Why can't we figure out a way to stagger contribution and work collaboratively across project management software or um, shared documents like a Google Doc? Why can't we do more? I know we're doing it now, but why can't we do more of that so that a woman does not have to totally walk away from the workforce, that they don't have to give up on everything. Why Why are we struggling with that? Why is it hard for us to sit back and say, let's put together benefit packages that we know are going to absolutely, absolutely be the best for women, that we are going to focus heavily on preventative care, health care, support, I just don't know. I don't know why we struggle with that. Because we choose to. I mean, it, it it's just as simple as that. You have seen how quickly the world can change and how quickly the corporate America can adjust to that change in terms of making their um, employer or their employees still able to do their job. Right. And and this is this is more of a conversation to those jobs that can be worked at or can be done at home. But when the entire world needed that option, corporate America adjusted. At this point, women have been told, do it this way, or mommy track yourself and get the fuck out. I mean, it, it's just as simple as that. We haven't dealt with it because we choose not to. And Exactly what we're seeing is the effect of that that decision by leaders to not value and engage what women bring to the table and also how our needs are are different, right? And so, you know, just trying to think of some things, I, I, I'm still floored by the child, child care stipend. If you can do that, if you can financially do that, you should be doing that. Yeah. Um, if your job can go virtual, it should be virtual, like period, hard stop. And the other thing that I think I've seen, not just in women, but also just in productivity as we moved towards working at home, is that everybody was afraid, especially women at a much higher degree, were very afraid of losing their job. So when they transitioned to online work, everybody was making sure they were available 24-7, that they were working at sort of this exceedingly high level of productivity to try and and make sure that they were bulletproof when it came to job cuts and layoffs. And we're starting to see that trend level out because people are going back to normal productivity levels. And companies are already saying, well, you know, we're going to have to start pulling people back because they're not performing like, you know, at 150% like they were two months ago. They shouldn't be performing at 150%. They should be performing at 100%. And 
to even think that virtual isn't going to work because your expectations are too high because people are living in fear, especially women, is completely unacceptable, right? If it's virtual, it should. If it can be virtual, it should be virtual. You already mentioned benefits, right? Um, Part time flex shifts. How to maintain health insurance if you're not working forty hours a week? Very critical. Yeah. Um, and use your, you know, use your humanity. Treat parenthood almost like you would a reasonable accommodation. Now, I'll probably piss some people off when I say that. But as a parent who's been a single parent, I have the empathy to understand what it's like when you get into situations where you have to choose how do I take care of my kid versus how do I keep my job. And there is no reason that we cannot be more flexible in the way that we engage, manage, and grow parents in our workplace, especially women. I got to tell you, I, I think back to when I had my sales team at MCI, this was 1995 or six. Um, and it's probably one of the worst moments of Torin as a leader in corporate America. And I'll never forget one of my top sales reps called in and, you know, it was the, 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 her daughter was sick and, and she didn't have any any backup. She didn't have anyone to to watch her. And so uh, we were in the middle of this major, major competition, uh, not to mention the, you know, the money and the accolades that individuals on my team could have benefited from that I had an opportunity to benefit from. And and I just remember how insensitive I was in, in the sense of even though it made sense, like, you know, listen, so and so, you know, you don't have like a plan B. I, I get it. You know, daycare center is closed or or your daughter's ill, but you don't have a plan B. And so I didn't understand the young leader. I didn't understand. It was it just didn't it didn't sit well with me that you did not have a plan B. But as I look back on. You know, as I look back on that scenario, it's one of those moments in my corporate career where I'm not proud. I'm not fond of how I responded, how I acted in that moment. And that's not to suggest that that's not to suggest that I'm not asking the or having the proper expectation. It is to suggest and to reveal that I wasn't connected to the humanity piece. I wasn't connected to the empathy piece. Even in my asking, my query, I'm doing it more from protecting my own interests. Honestly, I'm not doing it because I have humanity. And so, you know, I just really feel like, you know, all of us, and again, I don't know who's listening to our podcast, but I'm, I'm just hoping that, you know, as you are listening, that you are challenging individuals in your organization. How do we do this a little bit differently? How, how do we break away from the traditional playbook that we've used over the last 10 years? How do we create uh, new alternatives uh, because we are in an absolutely different paradigm and period of time. How do we do it differently? And so I appreciate you for bringing up the research. We're going to actually drop a lot of the links. You found some from McKinsey. Uh, I think you found an article from CNN and actually you pulled from a, a piece in Fortune. We got a lot of links to drop in the show notes this week, but we're going to put them in there. And we just want you to know, listen, women, women, Men alike, we want all of you to know, and they and them, we want you to know that we are thinking, we're thinking about you and we're challenging our listeners to think about you as well. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So oh, quick mention, can I jump in and do them? Yeah, no, do it. So Illyria is a great newsletter, uh, Illyria.com, A-L-E-R-I-A, Illyria.com. I think I got that right. But in their uh, newsletter this particular week, they talked about the Diversity and Inclusion Research Conference. Uh, it goes by Dirk20, D-I-R-C-20. Um, that's probably going to be their hashtag, hashtag D-I-R-C-20. Uh, certainly the website is dirc.info. Um, they are putting together their third annual conference. And so uh, I am going to be giving away a ticket. And so here's uh, it's compliment. I'm, I, look, we've, we've invested. We're going to give you the ticket, but this is what you have to do. You have to post a tweet mentioning the conference. You have to tag Julie at Julie Sowash. You have to tag me. I'm not going to tell you what my Twitter handle is. And you have to hashtag the event and our podcast, Crazy and the King. Now, if you mess it up, I don't care who you are. If you mess it up, you're not getting a ticket. So it's real simple. You got to tag the conference, tweet the conference, tag Julie and I on Twitter, and use the hashtag of the event and hashtag our podcast. And when I see someone, I'm going to make note and get you a ticket so that you can attend the event because I want you to do better uh, around DNI. And I know that research is part of that doing better. So cool. Also, uh, if you got questions about being better or being a better anti-racist, the Inclusion First Project is streaming every Tuesday at 4 p.m., a weekly Q&A. So you can find that information at Inclusion First Project. That's Inclusion, the number one, the letter S-T, inclusionfirstproject.org. They do a weekly Q&A at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday. This is asking and answering questions around being a better anti-racist, a phrase that you have heard a lot of over the last several months. You got questions? They have answers. Have at it. Awesome. Very excited about both of those. Uh, so many great virtual events coming up um, for just everywhere. I'm not sure if you heard that HR Tech has decided they will go virtual um, this fall. And so we are going to be testing that out in October. And I'm sure that the people over there at HR Tech will do a great job. Um, so Name drops. Torn, do you have any name drops this week? Absolutely. I want to put a shout out to our Twitter friends over at Gusto.com. You can find them on Twitter at Gusto HQ. That's G-U-S-T-O-H-Q at Gusto HQ. And why? Well, because they support Crazy and the King and we absolutely appreciate them. They are our first show sponsor. So thank you ever so much to the entire team over at Gusto. And that was spearheaded by my dear friend, Bernard Coleman, who made the introduction. We had some phone calls, conversations, and they love the work that we're doing and said that they could get behind such. So that says a lot about you, Julie, uh, in the way that we have curated content over the last year and a half. So, yes. So welcome Gusto to the Crazy and the King family. We're so excited. Um, my name drop, 
simple. We are taking two beautiful daughters to university this week. I'm praying to the gods that they get through the end of the semester on campus. I know they're going to be safe and smart, but we're taking one into the oldest into third year and the middle one into her first year of university. So I'm so excited for them. Absolutely. And so am I rooting for both of them. You know what? I ought to do something for them. Um, you know what? Send me their shoe size. I'm going to send them. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. Not the shoe size. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go online and I'm going to grab gift cards for both of them so they can get some new walking shoes. Some Tell them the only, the only rule that I have is that they cannot go out and get some old folks like easy, easy walkers. They got to get some <laughs> fresh. Now, now I'm not going to buy the whole shoe. You here's what's that, funny. That would be crazy. Here's what here's what's funny. So I used to, when when I was doing more transactional recruiting, um, uh, I would always uh, send gift cards to people who gave me referrals. So if you gave me a referral and I placed someone in a position, then I'd say thank you by sending them a gift card to Nordstrom. And, and people would always be surprised because they didn't know that it was it was going to, you know, whether it be digital or via via uh, regular mail. And, and I would always tell people, I said, listen, I want you to give me a referral that's going to stick. Like because when when I get my check and I go buy a pair of shoes, I ain't trying to take one shoe back because I got to replace the person like I really want people that's going to stick. So so tell the girls I am going to send you over a digital uh, gift card so they can put towards a great pair of fashionable shoes. And all I want to see is them having a fantastic year in school, because I know a lot is going to change for them. They're going to be challenged in different ways. So that's a beautiful name drop to the both of them. Gift card is on its way. All right. Thank you. Very generous. Awesome. And they both love good kicks. So I, I know that that will not go to waste. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. You got anything else? Take us home. You got it. So we close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. I always say find your voice inside of the workplace. Be a better human. We can't remind you enough. Just be a better human. We're going to drop this episode. By the time it drops, I will probably be emceeing Humans at Work in partnership with Skill Scout. So if you have not registered yet, go to humans at dot work forward slash film dash festival humans at dot work forward slash film dash festival catch me on sirius xm channel 126 this sunday 1 p.m for now julie and i are we ghosts see ya Hey, Julie here from Crazy and the King. And as a small business owner, Torin and I both know that paying and taking care of your team can be tough, especially right now during COVID. And that's why Gusto, our very first sponsor, has a built-in, easy-to-use payroll, benefits, onboarding, and other HR tools. If you, our listeners get three months free at gusto.com slash C-A-T-K. That's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. 
You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.